Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Church, lovely to be with you this morning. Thank you for turning on the weather. Appreciate that. You live in a beautiful part of the world. I had uh, Chrissy pick me up from the hotel and talking about her fascinating life. Who knows Chrissy? Amazing. Um, and so you're part of an amazing church. Thank you for having me, Pastor Shane and Rachel. Appreciate that. And, and we love um, the INC movement and what we're a part of. And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you to lean into everything God has for your community here in Shell Harbour. Who knows God's got a plan for Shell Harbour? You know, just driving through your city, the heart of God for all the people that were in the coffee shop this morning, right? All the beautiful people in their gym gear and with their dogs and sipping lattes. God has a plan for every single person, amen? Every single person. And so it is my privilege to be with you. It's my privilege to share the Word. I love the Word of God. Who believes the Word of God transforms our lives? Who here can testify the Word of God has done more for them than possibly anything else? (laughs) It is like a mirror that shows us who God intends us to be, who He created us to be. It's food to us. It sustains us. It's alive. And it changes who we are for the better. Thank you, Jesus. Who wants to meet my family? I want to show you a photo of my family. Is that okay? Here they are. If we can throw that up onto the screen. There they are. Aren't they gorgeous? I have four children. And um, on the far left there, that's Maya Gabrielle. She's 13. So this photo is a couple of years old now. Anyone else find it hard keeping up with family photos? Yeah, I'm due for a new one. Maya uh, is 13 and um, she's that oldest child. If you're the oldest child, you know what I'm talking about. I'm the oldest child. Everything had to be black and white. Everything had a place. Everything was straight up and down. And then on the other end there, you've got Layla. Who can guess what personality she is? The complete opposite. And so when I walk down the hallway and the girls have got their rooms on either side of the hallway, Myers is like display home standard all the time. And I turn around and look into Layla's, it's like a bomb site. So these are the complete opposite personalities. I see all spectrums of the world through my girls. <laughs> and um, actually tomorrow I'm flying home on the first flight to hear Layla give her vote one for Layla Gunza's speech at primary assembly for school captain next year. So if you can pray with me, 11 o'clock tomorrow, that'd be awesome. Just taking over all spheres of society. Okay, so there we go. School captain next year. Then second from the left is Judah Cruz, my redhead. Are there any redheads in the room? Come on loud and proud. Own that, own that. <laughs> so Judah's amazing. He's um, soft-hearted young man. He just uh, graduated to his next belt in Taekwondo yesterday. So we're cheering for that. And, um, and then on Sam's lap there, that's Jesse. Jesse's our surprise and he's absolutely amazing he has the whole world wrapped around his finger that kid has the whole world wrapped around his finger his prep teacher who's been teaching prep for 15 years pulled me aside the other day and she said for the first time in my prep teaching career I had to do this thing because of Jesse he she said you know when the kids go to library or when they go to sport and they sort of have to march around school they go in in lines, a girl line and a boy line. And she would normally go, okay, line up girls and boys. 
And for 15 years, that wasn't a problem until this year because every time she said that, all the girls wanted to be Jessie's partner. So she said for the first time, she had to assign line partners. First time in 15 years. So that's my Jesse. He'll win you over in five seconds flat. And, um, and that's Sam there. Sam and I have been married for almost 17 years, and he's God's greatest gift to my life. He's an amazing leader. He's an amazing husband. And um, I would just be a hot mess without Sam. Anyone else testify and thank God for their spouse? No one. We're in trouble, Shane. He's amazing. And so we've been in ministry together as long as we've known each other. And um, good, good place to meet your partner is in church and serving. All right, shameless plug for Life Group. I, Sam, I joined Sam's Connect Group and we ended up getting married. So good place to go if you're looking for a partner. Anyway, let's move on. This morning... It is my privilege to share around the scriptures and the title of my message this morning is Silver Platters and Silver Spoons. Silver Platters and Silver Spoons. And I've got my little prop here, a silver platter. I am reading the Chronological Bible. I've never read the Chronological Bible before. I've been a Christian for a long time and I love studying the scriptures. It may or may not be news to you that the Bible we read is actually not in chronological order. And so we read things sometimes back to front and upside down and inside out. And so this year I started reading it as it happened in history because it is a historic document. These things actually happened. And so I'm reading them as they happened in order, which means the books of the Bible are mixed up. Sometimes I'm reading Chronicles, sometimes I'm reading Joshua, sometimes... And so I'm reading it in chronological order, and I would highly recommend it to you. It has absolutely revolutionized my devotional time. And I'm reading about the people in Scripture and learning about them in a whole new way. And so earlier this year, I was reading about the Israelites, who are right at the beginning of the story, God's chosen people. And, and, uh, and so here they are. They've become a mighty nation, and they're in slavery in Egypt. You may know the story. They're in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And God raises up a deliverer named Moses to bring them out of slavery and into a land which he had promised their forefather Abraham. And so he brings them out of Egypt and they're wandering around the wilderness and it's only meant to be an 11-day journey. They get to the boundary of the promised land of Canaan and, um, and they're right there on the doorstep of their promise. And God instructs them to send in some spies. So Moses elects 12 spies, one spy for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sends them in to suss out the land. They go in, they come back out, and they give a report. And 10 of the 12 have a negative report. They say, yeah, it is an amazing land, so amazing, so incredible. They bring evidence of what's in there. Um, and so the fruit that's in there is so prosperous and and incredible that one cluster of grapes had to be slung on a pole and carried by two men. Like I'm imagining grapes the size of watermelons, one grape per family. Okay, they're like, it is. It's an amazing, prosperous land. God wasn't kidding when he said that it was flowing with milk and honey, that it had cities that we didn't build and that we would, you know, harvest from vineyards we didn't have to plant. But those cities, they're fortified and they have armies. 
and the people, they're giants, and we felt like grasshoppers in their sight. And they start filling the nation of Israel, they say 1.5 million people, with fear. And there are two of the, ten, of the 12 tri- uh, spies who stand up and give a favorable report. Their names are Caleb and Joshua. They stand up and say, yeah, like there are giants and there are fortified cities and all of that, but God's with us. Let's go in and do it. God said it's ours. We should just go in and take the land. And so the whole nation decides to believe the negative report and follow the pathway of fear and rebellion and disobedience. And God says, well, because of that, they're going to wander around the wilderness for 40 years until they all perish. No one who was full of fear and disobedience is going to see the promise that was rightfully theirs. They're going to perish in the wilderness. And the only two who make it through are, guess who? Joshua and Caleb. And so 40 years later, we're back at the boundary of Canaan. 40 years later. I mean, some of you get upset when the drive through at McDonald's is more than 60 seconds. 40 years later, they're back where they started and Joshua and Caleb are staring at the promise again. And so as I was reading it, I started to read about this new leader, Joshua, and I love the story of Joshua. I've preached out of Joshua for years, but reading it again in the chronological Bible, for some reason, I've discovered a new aspect of his personality, a new aspect of his leadership. And one thing that I realized caught me off guard. God God said to Joshua, come, I'm going to give you this land that that I promised your forefathers. And I realized, hang on, God, you actually didn't give it to anyone. They still had to go in and fight for it. Silver platters and silver spoons. Many of us pray for the provision of God, and then we're surprised when we have to fight for it. It's like the young woman, my story, who decides, God, you know what? I'm done with dating the world's way. I want a godly man. I want to do relationships in a godly way. I'm, I'm going to follow you. I want a godly man. And in comes Sam on a silver platter. God provides. I go, oh, I have to fight for this. I have to fight for the integrity of my relationship. I have to fight for my purity. I have to fight to honor and submit to him. 17 years later, I'm still fighting. You know what I'm talking about. If you're laughing, you've been married more than five minutes. You have to fight. I remember when the doctors told me I'd never have children and praying, God, would you heal my body? I just, please, please heal me so that I can have children. Income for children. Oh, oh! I have to fight for this. Right, so the thing I prayed for, which God provided, this now requires diligence. This now requires intentionality, priorities, strategy. This requires my attention. This requires me to fight. Recently, we were sitting with the federal member for our electorate, an amazing Christian man. We had dinner with him and his wife. And they were telling us the story of when they heard the call and he put his hand up and threw his hat in the ring to be God's man in our electorate on a silver platter. And he very quickly realized it was going to be a fight. 
It's like the Christian business person who's praying to God for breakthrough in a contract and they get the contract and realize it's a fight for the integrity of the ethics around their business practice. It's a fight for the integrity around their work ethic and how they treat their partners and trade partners and customers. It's a fight. We pray and and God asks us and encourages us to pray and ask Him to fill our needs and, and fill the gap between what He says and our current experience. And then we're surprised when we have to fight. Well, this morning, ladies and gentlemen, I want to propose to you that anything God has for us requires a fight. And we need to be the sorts of people who are willing to step up to it and do what it takes. So I want us to read together out of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. If you can turn your Bibles there or else the scripture will be up on the screen. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm going to give them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on the land I have given you. How awesome. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. It's interesting that they are going to stand against you, church. You are going to face opposition. Please don't be surprised when you face opposition. The incredible thing is it won't stand up to God. That's the truth. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land. I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Again, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Don't deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you sit around waiting for. In everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It reminded me of the classic scripture the classic scripture that many of us would know in Deuteronomy 28, because this is where I've been reading, where it says that God will make us the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. You know that classic scripture? Anyone go to grandma's house and see that on the poster on the back of the toilet door? You know, it's a scripture we all know. You're going to be the head, you know, above only and not beneath, the head and not the tail. In Romans 8, 37, it says that we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. But in reading, <laughs> in reading Joshua's story, I've realized that in order to be an overcomer, I need to overcome something. In order to be more than a conqueror, I actually need to conquer something. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a participation certificate. You actually have to overcome in order to have that title. 
you actually need to conquer to be called a conqueror. And so as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, you know what, God, you do deliver things on a silver platter, but you expect me to step up to the mark. The thing is, you ensure my victory. You ensure my success. In the face of opposition, you say you won't leave me or forsake me. You tell me that my opposition will not stand up to me, but it will be there. It's the difference between someone who has God on their side and someone who doesn't. Is we're assured our victory, we just have to fight. We have to go in. And so as I'm reading it, I had an epiphany. God, you said you'd given them the land, but they still had to go in. They still had to fight the inhabitants. They still had to subdue them. They still had to establish kingdom culture in the lands that they were taking over. They still had to fight. They had to overcome. Church, I want to tell you it's one thing to conquer. It's another thing to rule. It's one thing to conquer. It's another thing to rule. You might be familiar with the statistics around the people who win the lottery. That they win millions of dollars and within a short time frame, not only have they lost all their winnings, but they're actually worse off financially than they were before. Why is that? because they didn't know how to rule that money. It's one thing to get something delivered to us on a silver platter. It's another thing to live with such a capacity that we can manage and steward it. That's where the fight is. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I big enough for God to bless me? Am I big enough to be blessed, church? Because what God has for you and what he intends for you to have and manage and live in is greater than our wildest dreams. But we have to expand ourselves to such a place that we can steward and rule what it is he assigns to us. We need to be big enough to maintain what it is he wants to bring our way. And so this morning I want to share three thoughts around courage Because God says, be brave and courageous three times to Joshua in that short passage. To be able to rule, to be able to conquer, to be able to move into the promise of God requires that we would have bravery and courage. And so three things this morning that courage knows. Are you with me this morning, church? Number one, courage knows I'm powerful enough to act out of who I am and not how I feel. I'm powerful enough to act out of who I am and not how I feel. I can face my fears through obedience. You see, as I'm reading the story of Joshua, I'm realizing something about him. He's actually quite a meek personality. His mate, Caleb, he was the gung-ho, give me the mountain kind of guy. Joshua was quite, quite quiet. He was meek. He was mild. And yet some of the things God required him to do were ruthless. Some of the things God expected him to do were well beyond his personality. And I'm like, how did he do it? And I realized time after time after time, Joshua just went back to obedience. Joshua went back to what God said he was. Joshua acted out of who he was, not how he felt. And there are many times when the call of God will demand that we move beyond even our personalities. 
There are going to be many times where we move beyond preference and that's how we grow our capacity. We grow when we step up and beyond our comfort zones, when we're acting out of priorities rather than preference, out of conviction rather than convenience, when we're operating out of the call rather than how we feel, when we understand who we are in Christ and who God says we are. It causes us to move beyond even ourselves. Courage knows I can act out of who I am, not how I feel. Proverbs 16 verse 3, powerful scripture that I've had to use as a mantra in many seasons of my life when I didn't feel like I was adequate or when I didn't feel like doing what God was saying. Proverbs 16 verse 3, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will follow. Commit your thought, your works, and then your thoughts will follow. Oftentimes we have it the other way around. When I feel like it is when I do it. Can I tell you, if I waited until I felt like doing everything God asked me to do, there's a lot I wouldn't do. But every time I act in obedience, my thoughts catch up. And if I can be so bold as to say this next statement from personal experience, is that obedience to God leads to mental health. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will follow. If you don't feel like getting up in the morning, get up. If you feel like you're downtrodden, help someone else. The devil does not know what to do with a person who gets up and acts out of who they are and not how they feel. A person who won't be limited by their emotions, by their thoughts, but a person who says, if God said I am, then I can and I will. If God says that I should, then that's the thing I'm going to do no matter how I feel about it. And at the end of the day, you fall into bed going, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad that I did. You are powerful enough to act out of who you are, not how you're feeling. Have a whatever it takes attitude like Joshua. Have a whatever it takes mentality. The second thing courage knows, courage knows I'm wise enough to know which God leads to life. I'm wise enough to know that there are so many gods screaming for my attention. So many gods crying out for my worship and my affection and my adoration. But I'm wise enough to know which one it is that's going to lead me to life. There are so many gods, the gods of career, materialism, stuff, popularity, narcissism, hello Instagram, self, the gods that overpromise and underdeliver, and we only ever discover that way too late when we're already heartbroken and they're not delivering on what they said they would. Hello, anyone? There's one God, only one God who leads you into the promise. There's only one God who will lead you into life. There's only one God who understates and over delivers. His name is Jesus. And you are wise enough to know which God it is. How do I know this? Because as a follower of Jesus, the spirit of wisdom, which is the Holy Spirit, is speaking all the time. When you're on the couch with your partner and you're not married, 
He's speaking to you. When you're in the middle of a business deal and you can cut a corner that no one will ever know about, he's speaking to you about that. I have the wisdom. I have the courage to know which God is going to lead me to life. And so there are so many gods that scream at us. So many. We just need to clue up to it, admit to it. Several weeks ago, 52,191 fans worshipped at the altar of Suncorp Stadium on a Wednesday night for State of Origin. In the month of April alone, $27 million in Australia was spent at the altar of Westfield Shopping Centres. We worship all sorts of gods. There's only one God that needs our affection, deserves our affection, that can lead us to where we want to go. And Joshua saw this as he was leading his people through all the crusades in all the different lands. And he called them together after a little while. And he said in, in chapter 24, verse 15, he called them together. He's like, guys, come on. Choose today who you're going to serve. You just love that about a leader. All right. Elephant in the room. Let's just, let's just get real about this. Choose today who you're going to serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or will it be the gods of the Amorites in the land where you now live? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Choose today. And as I was reading this, I realized, you know what, there might be two types of gods. There are the gods of our forefathers. Maybe they're dysfunctional habits that you were programmed with growing up. Maybe they're cycles, curses, whatever it might be. And you actually need to go, no, you know what? It stops with me. It stops right here with me. I'm facing up to this and enough is enough. We're no longer serving those gods. It might be the gods we just talked about of common culture in the land where you now live. All those gods that scream for your attention. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And courage knows how to do that. And as I was thinking about this, you know, I was thinking about the difference between um, the, the gods that we can serve from our fathers. And I just want to say, if you were raised by great godly parents, please lean into that. Lean into that and draw from that because they're going to point you towards the God that will lead you to life. And if you weren't raised in that environment, find godly spiritual parents who can point you in that direction. Make sure you do that. Make sure you're worshipping the God who will lead you towards life and have a question-asking culture of the right people, the right ones who can point you in the right direction. And the third thing, if I could have the band back up, that would be awesome. The third thing that courage knows, courage knows that it's actually love that gives me the strength to choose well. It's love that gives me the strength to choose well. As a pastor, I've sat with so many great people who genuinely love Jesus and still find it hard to choose the right path. So many people who say, I love God. I love Jesus. I want to do the right thing. Why do I keep choosing the wrong thing? And I believe the answer is found in Deuteronomy when Moses is speaking to the people before he hands over his leadership. And Deuteronomy 30 is another famous scripture that we know. Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 16. 
He says, listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep His commands, decrees and regulations by walking in His way and He will bless you in the land that you're about to occupy. The translations have been shortened to say, I place before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. So God, my question is, why is it that so many great Christian people find it hard to choose life? Why is it that that still happens? And I believe the answer is found only a few verses later in verse 20. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God and obeying Him, committing yourself to Him firmly. This is the key to your life. If you love and obey the Lord, you'll live long in the land. Bravery is actually a choice to obey and love. Takes vulnerability to love. Takes vulnerability to lean into the face of God. Love has a vision. Love is bigger than itself. Love sees long-term. And when you can see long-term, it makes a decision today much easier to make. Love sees bigger than self. That makes a decision easier to make. And there are so many people like, why did I do that? And I've just realized, you know what? It's because you've turned yourself away from the face of God. All that you need to do is turn yourself back fully into the face of a God who loves you. And when you're in that place, everything else falls away. Everything else pales in significance. He loves you so much. His plan for you is so great. And what happens is, is we kind of sometimes can turn away, shy away, even, you know, five degrees, 10 degrees, because I just prefer to do it this way. I just, you know, justify it like this. And suddenly we've turned away from love. And outside of love, everything's works. Everything's hard work. Everything's a rule. No one likes rules. Rules are made to be broken, right? They're made to be broken. Covenants are made to be kept. And covenant is found in relationship. So if today you're in a place and you're struggling in your decisions, you know you're not choosing life, my encouragement to you is turn fully into the face of God. In that place, you'll be fully exposed and fully covered all at the same time. In that place, you'll be completely undone and completely rebuilt all at once. That is the only place where anything makes sense. Eye to eye, toe to toe in the love of a God who intends you, who has plans for you, plans that are greater than you can imagine. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that brings life to us. We thank you for the examples we find in Scripture of ordinary men and women. Ordinary men and women, even dysfunctional men and women who you called out, out of obscurity and and trusted with a forward motion into a land that was so great. Time after time after time, you show your love for us, God. Father, for the ones here this morning who have turned away from you, who aren't fully living in that place of love, in that place of surrender. Lord, I pray that you would come in and minister to them this morning, your great love. 
Scripture says we only can love because you first loved us. And I pray this morning for that revelation to take root in someone's heart this morning. For that revelation to take root in someone's heart. If that's you, if that's you, would you just turn your face back towards Him? Come back into that place. And I want to promise you that there's a land for you with cities you didn't have to build, vineyards you didn't have to plant. Yes, there are going to be giants. There are going to be armies to take, but I promise you, you are victorious when you march side by side with the God of the universe. You are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer in Christ. You are the head and not the tail. You are above only and not beneath. With Him by your side, they cannot stand against you. This morning, would you turn yourself back into His face? It is love that gives you the courage to choose well. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Pastor Shane.